the Lord for technology, but it, it does have its challenges. Do we get it? Okay, great. I'll go ahead and get started then. Okay. Okay. Well, last week, we began talking about a theme woven through the last week or two weeks of Jesus' life here on earth. And that theme could be summarized by death and resurrection. Okay. And we see it in almost all the events you know, Garden of Gethsemane, uh, you know, a lot of Jesus' interactions, his teachings, a lot of things. And we see the theme, first of all, in Jesus' life because he experienced what? Death and resurrection. He knew his destiny was death at the cross. He started talking to his disciples about it beforehand, even though they, they didn't really want to listen that much. And he also likewise knew that resurrection was going to follow. He understood that death has to go before resurrection. Now, Jesus also realized, and we see it in these last teachings of Jesus, that this was an important principle for all his disciples. And that includes us, right? For all his followers. It's a spiritual principle. A principle that we need to take note of. And uh, after his death and resurrection, he emphasized this spiritual principle over and over. Okay, actually, John 12, 24 is probably the verse that probably summarizes the best. It says, truly, and by the way, this was given right after his entry into Jerusalem. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Of course, Jesus is talking about himself. But if you read on the next few verses, it's obvious that he's talking about us as well. And that sort of describes this principle of death and resurrection. Just a few days before that, he was in the... Um, if we can kind of read that in John 11. Uh, Jesus and his disciples here, they get word that a good friend of his, the brother of Martha and Mary, was sick, very sick. And the message was, Master, come quickly. Lazarus is sick. We talked about this last week. What did Jesus do? He waited two more days before he went to Bethany. Why did he do that? Why did he delay? And actually... When he gets there, he's greeted by Martha, and she says, Lord, I wish you'd been here. If you'd been here, he would have been, he, you could have healed him. But Jesus purposely waited until Lazarus was dead because his message to Martha and to Mary and to the whole town was, I am the resurrection and the life. And we understand resurrection and life so much more when there's been death. And that's exactly what happened here. We, uh, we saw another way to look at this was uh, uh, Jesus in the garden. Again, that same week. And there we see another way you could say death is surrender. And Jesus had to wrestle through this issue of complete surrender to the Lord. In fact, 
twice he says, your will, not mine. Even though he wanted his will very much. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to be, he didn't want to go through the torture. But nevertheless, your will, Lord, not mine. We see it in so many stories. Even in the Old Testament, Jonah, the story of Jonah. And you know the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah, God tells him to do something. Go to Nineveh, preach the gospel, tell him about repentance. Jonah decided, I don't like that plan. I don't want to do that. And so he takes off going the opposite direction. You know, he left, he leaves the port city of Jaffa headed in a ship. And you know the story. You know, he ends up being thrown overboard. He's swallowed by a fish. And there in the belly of the fish, he decides, you know, maybe, Lord, I'll try your way now, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't understand it. And it's a beautiful picture of death and then resurrection. Because when he goes to Nineveh, the whole city repents. Even the animals, it says, are fasting. You know, kind of amazing story. And um, in fact, Jesus, years later, when he's on earth, says, the only sign I'm going to give this generation is the sign of Jonah. Because it's the picture, it's the principle of death and resurrection. So we, we talked about all this last week. If you we weren't here, weren't able to listen to it, you know, sideways as we kind of, you know, I encourage you to do so. Or even if you just feel like I need to hear that again. Today, I want us to focus on the resurrection part. Last week, the death. Death has to come before resurrection. Today, let's talk about resurrection. And of course, Jesus resurrected today, right? You know, on, on this day. And uh, we've already talked about it. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He experienced betrayal, then humiliation. Then he went to the cross. But then he resurrected. But then he resurrected. And that ties everything together. If it was just death, that would be kind of gloomy, wouldn't it? But the story doesn't end with death. It ends with resurrection. And that's really what Christianity is all about. You know, one of the things that um, I've shared this in previous years, but the early Christians on the day that they celebrated uh, Jesus's resurrection, they would greet one another and they would say, he is risen. And then the other person would say, he is risen indeed. Right. Let, let, let's try that. He is risen. OK, I think we can say it a little bit louder. He is risen. He is risen OK, amen. OK, so uh, at the cross, Jesus took away our sins. Jesus bore the judgment and penalty for all our sins. But at the resurrection, he gives us new life to everyone who calls upon him. So, so let's just take a, a, a closer look at this resurrection. What does the resurrection do or what does it speak to us? And we could go on forever talking about it. I just want to mention three things. First of all, the resurrection is proof that all Jesus said about himself and all that he said about eternal life is true. 
Listen, we live in a world today, and it was true back then. It's cheap. Talk is cheap. You can say anything. You can claim anything. You can say, you know, there's going to be giraffes coming down from the sky tonight. You can say anything you want, and especially today on the Internet. But when it's backed up by the resurrection, it takes away all the questions. And that's what Jesus did. A lot of people wondered, well, yeah, that, that sounds good. But when he resurrected, oh, he does mean this. He, what he says about eternal life is true. The resurrection settles all the questions we might have about that. It takes the words of Jesus from being a good, wise man. Because, you know, everyone agrees with that. Islam does. Hinduism. Second people. Yeah, he, he said a lot of good things. He was a wise man. But the resurrection takes it from being, Jesus being a good man to him being God himself. Right? You know, we need to seriously consider his words. His life is being more than just words because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. Second, the resurrection gives us new life. Somehow, the resurrection provided that life, new life, is supernaturally imparted into our life when we receive him. It's a miracle. It's called regeneration. It's called becoming a new creation. It's when the new life of Christ is imparted to us, the power of sin is broken in our lives. We, we still sin, but the power of sin is broken. It's all because of the resurrection. Something supernaturally happens. It's the resurrection power of Jesus. Romans 8 talks about, it says, the power that raised Jesus from the dead now gives us life. Think about that. The power to raise Jesus from the dead is the life that's imparted to you. And that's beautiful. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so the resurrection also gives us eternal life. Not just new life, but eternal life. Because he covers us with his righteousness. The resurrection gives us the promises of the kingdom of God in its fullness and the future new earth and the future new heaven, the things that we've talked about in the last few months. Everything becomes new. So the resurrection of Jesus is extremely important. But remember, John 12, 24, death has to come before resurrection. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears a lot of fruit. Do we want to bear fruit? That's what Jesus has called us to. Now that he's given us new life, he's given us new life because of the resurrection. And now he says, now you need to go and bear fruit. But we can't bear fruit of ourselves, can we? We have to go, we have to embrace that same principle of death and resurrection. And Jesus demonstrates that in his life. He says, just as it happened to me in a much, much smaller way, you have to embrace this principle. When we die to ourselves, when we see our need, when we see our sinfulness, 
like we talked about last week. When we see our lack or our, our inability to please him, our inability to bear fruit or really to do anything, when we come to the end of our striving and the end of ourselves, when we say, your will, Lord, not my will, at that point, we can begin to enter the fullness of the Christian life. See, a lot of things about the Christian life we read about, but somehow they just seem to elude our lives. I, 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 I've never experienced that, we say. I hear that all the time. That's because there hasn't been death. Because all those glorious things that are supernatural, that's part of that resurrection in life, the resurrection power. And we need to die in order for, that to, for Christ to be able to truly live inside of us. The fullness of the Christian walk. You know, what, what, what's included in that? We could probably go on for days about that, but let me just mention a few things. First of all, there's freedom. Galatians says, we were, you were called to freedom, brethren. By the way, he's not talking about political freedom. Jesus said in John 8, the truth shall set you free. I am the truth. You embrace me, you're going to be free. Isaiah talks about how when the Messiah comes, that he's going to set the captives free. Now, a lot of the Jews in Jesus' time thought, that's a political freedom. But Jesus is saying, no, no. I'm talking about something much deeper, much greater, much more eternal than political freedom. I'm talking about a freedom inside of here. An inner freedom that sets me free from guilt and sin and self-pity and bitterness and fear and anxiety. When I have Jesus' resurrected life living inside of me, those things can't come in. They can't penetrate. Or if they do, they're easily expelled. That's the resurrected life we're talking about. How about joy? You know, the whole world's looking for joy. Sometimes they call it happiness. The, you know what the problem with happiness is? It's based on circumstances. If everything's going well with my life today, I'm happy. But if it's one of those days that we all have where things don't go so well, ever have one of those? Yeah, you know, then our happiness goes down. Joy isn't tied to circumstances. Joy is tied to a walk with Christ, a life with Christ. And Jesus said, actually, it was in his, um, he, he says it several times, but the most vivid example is in John 15 when he's talking about, you can't do anything by yourself. But if you abide in me, I'm going to live in you. And then he says, and your joy will be made complete. Now, I know complete 100% joy is not going to happen until we're with him face to face. But in this life, we can begin to experience true joy. I read a book a number of years ago uh, written by uh, a ministry that works with the persecuted church around the world. And, and the book was, I think it was something like eight or ten qualities, virtues of the, of the persecuted church that we need in our lives. You know what the first one was? Joy. 
And he says, whenever I tell people this, people are kind of amazed because their circumstances are not good. They're losing family members to death or torture. They're in prison. And yet, the number one quality about the persecuted church is joy. I think we're missing something. We're missing the resurrected life of Christ. That's what it is. So there's freedom, inner freedom. There's a joy. There's power in the inner man. Scriptures talk a lot about this. Philippians 3 calls it the resurrection power of Christ. The power of his resurrection. By the way, that word power that's used in these cases where it talks about being power in the inner man, it's a Greek word, denimos, in which we get the word dynamite from. In other words, it's not just, I have a little extra strength. No, it's something explosive. It's powerful. That's the power that Jesus places inside of our inner man when we tap into the resurrection power of Christ. Wow. And you know, and that means, because let's, let's face it, in this life, you ever feel just helpless, you know, in doing the things we're called to do? It seems like I don't have enough strength to do this. I don't have enough endurance. I don't have love for this situation, Lord. I don't have patience for this situation. We could go on and on, right? But when his life is imparted to us because of the resurrection, there is an inner power, a dynamite. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now living inside of you. And if we open the door to that and we're willing to die, that he lived through us, it's a game changer. Spiritual transformation. I mean, that, that probably describes a lot of this. Spiritual transformation is what? Growing and becoming more like Christ, right? In our love, in faith, in joy, in peace, in, in everything of our life, right? But have you noticed that it's kind of impossible? Not kind of impossible. It is impossible, isn't it? To be like Christ. And again, I know we're not going to be complete like him until we see him, until we're with him for eternity. But God wants us to be transformed more and more into his image day by day. How does that happen? Only the resurrection power of Christ. It's impossible in ourselves. But if we're willing to die, that resurrection may take root in our life, it's different. See, his resurrection shows us how powerful the resurrection is in every one of our lives. I mean, there's, there's a lot more we can say, but let's just say it this way. God wants to bring life and resurrection into every area of our life. And while we will not attain all that he has for us, and to we're with him for all of eternity, there is much he wants us to experience and walk in now. Maybe one other way that we could describe this, and this is a picture that sort of pops up in New Testament, Old Testament. Let's look at Mark chapter 14. It's also in Matthew 26 and other places, but Mark 14 Starting in verse 3. 
Again, this happened right before his death, an event. For while he was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured it over his head. And some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. 300 denarii, it's a, almost like a year's wages. So just take your year's wages. For it just to be broken, wasted. Yeah, I, I kind of see how they were kind of questioning. And they were scolding her, the woman. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. They didn't understand what she, he was saying. But, and then he says something really remarkable. Truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. This was such a big deal to Jesus that Jesus associates what this woman did with the gospel being preached around the world to all generations. I mean, rather amazing, really. What did she do? She spilled an expensive container of perfume all over Jesus, a waste, useless. But it was a sacrifice. It was a total abandonment of herself. Everything she had, probably, she kind of gave. And, uh, and she said, Jesus said, it was a way of preparing his body for death because in some ways it, it exemplified total abandonment. But this type of waste, this type of death, this type of total abandonment was going to produce something bigger than anyone could imagine. The gospel preached in all the world. Here's the point. The fruit of seeing the gospel being preached around the world is not going to happen without total abandonment like this woman showed. Not just on the part of one or two people, but on the part of the church. And I know we've talked a lot about Jesus coming again. But listen, brothers and sisters, it will not happen unless we have that total abandonment to him. And then God does something. Ephesians 2. Single dose, right. It says, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see what he's saying here? That when Jesus gave himself up in total love, a complete sacrifice, it produced a fragrant aroma. And he tells us what? You also walk in that same type of love, meaning that same type of abandonment. Because when you do, it produces a fragrant aroma. There's something supernatural about it. And actually, if we had time, we could go to the Old Testament where it talks about where some of the, not all, but some of the sacrifices that were 
given to the Lord, it says, and they made a soothing aroma to the Lord. Song of Solomon talks about this. You know, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 2. This probably says it the best for us. Verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. You get that? When we give ourselves in total abandonment, when we come to the death of ourself, when we come to complete surrender, just as Jesus did and exemplified what we celebrate this weekend, when we do that, it produces a sweet aroma. And, and God wants that sweet aroma to fill this earth because he wants his children, he wants his disciples, he wants his followers to be doing it here and in Ukraine and in Mexico and El Salvador and in Maryland and wherever you happen to be from. And then it goes on, it says, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? None of us, are we? I think this picture of what the woman did in Bethany and this sweet aroma that filled the house. And Jesus said, this is how the gospel is going to be preached. Because while, because the world doesn't want to hear us kind of just talk, talk, talk. They want to see our life of love and sacrifice and abandonment, just as Jesus did. And then there's resurrection and there's life. There's a sweet aroma. In conclusion, as we embrace this spiritual principle of death and resurrection, we'll find ourselves on the road to resurrection and life. We will become that fragrance of Christ that will supernaturally attract people to Christ. That fragrant aroma will be irresistible for those who are hungering for, there's got to be more in this life. They're going to sense that. And that's what happened with Jesus' death and then his resurrection. That message of what he did at the cross is still going around to people after people, culture after culture, generation after generation. And it speaks to men and women and children of all generations, doesn't it? And all cultures. That message speaks truth, hope, freedom, peace, eternal life. How? Because it was a gift given out of total abandonment of sacrifice based in death and based in ultimate love. And something beautiful comes out, a fragrant aroma. And that same principle, God wants to work in the earth today. And he's talking to people like us. I say, well, I, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot to offer. That's okay. You think that woman had a lot to offer? How about those fishermen? They were kind of at the bottom of the totem pole, so to speak, economically. God loves using just common, ordinary people like you and me. John 
12, 24. Let me read it again. The verse that we keep coming to over and over in these past two weeks. Truly, truly, I say to you. By the way, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, what is he saying? This is truth. Listen to it. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears not just a little bit of fruit, not just some fruit, but much fruit. That is what God is wanting to speak to us. I think we have a dance. Are they getting about ready? Okay. Let's, um, let, let, let's go ahead and pray, okay? And, um, and I think it would just be very appropriate for all of us to just, we've probably done it before. Maybe we haven't. But I think we need to say, Lord, we give ourselves completely to you. Lord, make us that sweet aroma. Can we do that? Father, we thank you for this, pr this principle of resurrection and death. Lord, we, uh, none of us like dying. None of us like surrendering everything we are. None of us like saying, Lord, only your will and not our will. But Lord, we know that's the life you've called us to. And when we do, Lord, there's something supernatural that happens. There's an impartation of your resurrection life into ours. Lord, we're not worthy of it at all. In fact, Lord, we recognize our sinfulness, our inadequacy more than ever. But Lord, we receive everything you have for us. And Lord, this supernatural becoming a fragrant aroma, a sweet aroma around the earth. We pray, Lord, that in this world where there's hate and suspicion and greed and all sorts of evil and it's getting worse and worse. Lord, there needs to be a sweet aroma of your life around this world. Lord, you're calling your church to be that. We ask that you would do that. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen.